You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. What if I told you that Black Americans did in fact receive reparations after slavery? Okay, that would be a lie. Now, what if I told you that in the early 20th century, the most powerful entertainer in Paris was an American-born black woman who used her fame and the art of seduction to spy for the French military resistance during World War II. Well, that would be the truth. This is the story of Josephine Baker, and this is the Redacted History Podcast. So, hey, it's been a while. Last time we were together... We told the story of Mary Bowser, an enslaved black woman who was given her freedom and proceeded to spy for the Union Army during the Civil War. Definitely go check that episode out if you haven't already. But today, we're going to fast forward the clock about a half a century to 1906, where the story of Josephine Baker begins. Josephine Baker is arguably the most interesting woman that lived in the 20th century. Have you ever heard of her? Everyone I talk to has never heard of her. Josephine Baker was an entertainer, a sex symbol. Matter of fact, she was the foremost sex symbol for black women in the 20th century. She was an icon, a civil rights activist, a hustler, a survivor, and a World War II spy. Her story, like many stories of black women from the last couple hundred years, went untold. And not for lack of documentation, there's plenty of documentation on Josephine Baker out there. So let's change that. Sit back, relax, and let's get into the show. The Redacted History Podcast is brought to you by Patreon. This is where you can get behind the scenes looks at the show. You can vote on what the next show topic will be, live streams, and much, much more. Go to patreon.com forward slash blackout, B-L-A-C-K-K-O-U-T, And open your purse. I promise it won't hurt. Let's get back to the show. America, 1906. We're 40 years removed from the end of the Civil War and the emancipation of enslaved African Americans. And we are in the midst of Jim Crow and the Black Codes, a host of racial and segregationist laws meant to disenfranchise and marginalize Black Americans. Because of this, we're seeing the beginning of the Great Migration, the movement of over six million African-Americans out of the rural Jim Crow South to Northeast, Midwest, and Western parts of the country. Talk to any of your black friends or peers that are from like the North, Michigan, think New York, think Ohio. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, and I know for a fact that my family in the early 20th century moved from Mississippi, North Carolina, to Arkansas, Cleveland, Ohio, Chicago, Illinois. So (laughs) that's the great migration right there. Black people were fleeing the racial terror of Jim Crow South to the North, to the Midwest, to the West. That's where you see a lot of black communities rise up in Compton, California, Los Angeles, things of that nature. Though they were escaping the nightmare that was the Jim Crow South, many black Americans would find out that the infection that was racism had spread itself across the nation. And one of these places that African Americans moved was St. Louis, Missouri. 
St. Louis was a rapidly growing city by the end of the 19th century. It had survived a cholera epidemic. Uh, it survived fires that tried to burn down the city. And that epidemic that I just mentioned killed 4,000 people, which was a lot at the time. St. Louis at the time was what we'd call a modern-day melting pot. By 1900, there were 575,000 people in the city of all races, and 35,000 of them were black. Josephine Baker was born Frida J. McDonald on June 3, 1906. She adopted the name Josephine from her aunt. Her childhood was volatile from the very beginning. She was born to a woman named Caroline, or Carrie for short. Carrie was a black woman who was adopted in 1886 in Little Rock, Arkansas, by a black family. Her adopted mother was a black woman named Elvira, who was a former enslaved woman on a tobacco farm in Arkansas. She was of African and Native American descent. Now, it was never confirmed who Josephine's birth father was, but it was rumored to be a white man in town named Edward. The rumors were because Josephine was, of course, noticeably a little lighter than her mother and her siblings. Now, she was still clearly a black woman, but this lighter skin gave her a proximity to whiteness in the eyes of her family and other black people. Josephine spent her early years in the Mill Creek Valley neighborhood in St. Louis, raised in an extended family by her mother, stepfather, aunt, and her grandparents. The neighborhood was a mixed-race, low-income neighborhood with a plethora of low-income housing, brothels, drug houses, saloons, and houses that had no plumbing. Her mother married a forever unemployed man named Arthur Martin, and together they had two more daughters and a son, Josephine's step-siblings. Most of her childhood was spent fending for herself because her mother absolutely resented her. Josephine was born out of wedlock to her mother, Carrie, and the townsfolk looked at Carrie as promiscuous. And Carrie saw Josephine's existence as a reminder of that, not to mention, you know, the whole you're lighter than me, proximity to whiteness thing. Josephine had to grow up fast and spent most of her time skipping school and frolicking, dancing, singing music in the streets. At the age of eight, she began doing maid work and served as a live-in domestic maid for white families in the community to help her family make ends meet. And some of these white families, as you could imagine, were not very nice to her. One woman going on as far to burn Josephine's hands in boiling water because the little girl put too much soap in the laundry. Josephine would find that she couldn't find real love wherever she looked. White people, no love. Her family no love. Her mother, no love. And she experienced the hatred that the world could really hold when she witnessed the St. Louis riots of 1917. It was the year 1917. Josephine was 11 years old. The East St. Louis riots of 1917 were labor-related violence perpetrated by white Americans. Between 29 and 150 black people were murdered and another 6,000 were left homeless. I'm sure those numbers are a lot higher than what the records state. Let's look at some context. The First World War is happening in Europe and many of the able-bodied white men that typically held down the jobs on the American front were in the great fight. It just so happened that the First World War coincided with the Great Migration because don't forget, black people were still fleeing racial terror in the South because white people were ambidextrous. 
They could multitask. They could fight a war in Europe and still terrorize black people in America. Priorities. Black people were also incentivized to travel to North and Midwest uh, cities because there were open jobs. And in the North and the Midwest, including St. Louis, there were a lot of industrial jobs, high paying jobs that typically went to these white men. But they were over in Europe getting put on T-shirts. Black people at this time were arriving in St. Louis by a clip of 2000 people a week. Many white workers were on strike to get better labor conditions, and they weren't just going to let black people come in and take their jobs from up under them. The tension boiled over on May 28, 1917, when white mobs marched into black districts and began to burn homes, churches, saloons. They shot black women and children in the street and lynched black men. The violence extended from May to July. On July 3rd, 1917, a reporter from Post-Dispatch of St. Louis wrote, For an hour and a half last evening, I saw the massacre of helpless Negroes at Broadway and 4th Street in downtown East St. Louis, where black skin was a death warrant. Josephine saw all of this. She watched the burning houses in East St. Louis on a bridge. She was quoted saying, I can still see myself standing on the west bank of the Mississippi, looking over into East St. Louis and watching the glow of the burning Negro homes lighting the sky. We children stood huddled together in bewilderment, frightened to death with the screams of the Negro families running across the bridge with nothing but what they had on their backs as their worldly belongings. So with this vision, I ran and ran and ran. And it was almost time for Josephine to run her race. Around her adolescent years, life got even harder for Josephine. Her mother basically disowned her. She spent a lot of times doing odd jobs, sleeping on street corners, dancing on the street for money, you name it. At the age of 12, she officially dropped out of school. And at the age of 13, she was married to the discontent of her mother. Let me say that again. At the age of 13... She was married. She was married to a man named Willie Wells, who was damn near 30 years old, and they met at a chauffeur's club. It was around this time that Josephine found escape in music, dancing, and performing. She would escape to the Black-owned theater in town, dancing in the rafters, practicing and daydreaming of when she would be one of the girls on stage. She spent her time mimicking all the moves, obsessing over the dresses and the feathers. She wanted it so badly. It was at this time she became even more discontent with her life in St. Louis. She no longer wanted to work for white people. Uh, she experienced sexual assault for a man that she was working for, a local man in town. And it turned out that her happiness or whatever she found with Willie was short-lived along with their marriage. They married in 1919 and they divorced in 1919. After her divorce from Willie, the predator, she found her place in her first traveling band. She married her second husband, Howard Baker, in 1921 at the age of 15. This was actually her first legal marriage because in St. Louis at the time, you couldn't get married at the age of 13. Duh. 15 is still no better. But she and Mr. Baker would eventually divorce a few years later, but she kept his last name for the rest of her life. She eventually convinced the show manager in St. Louis to let her into a traveling vaudeville group. She became part of shows that traveled the Midwest and the East. She went to Memphis, Chicago, Philadelphia, and finally New York City while encountering racism and challenges all along. While traveling with these vaudeville dance groups, sometimes she would get flack and bullying from the other girls because they felt threatened by her. 
She was more charismatic and a better dancer than them, and she wasn't afraid to take risks. She would appear in chorus lines where each dancer would have to do the same moves, um, nothing special, nothing that really set the women apart from each other. But Josephine would make her own moves because that's just the way that she was. She would even go as far as dressing in blackface, I don't recommend that, to make the audience laugh. Remember, it was the 1920s. In 1923, Josephine caught the eye of the Broadway production Shuffle Along, which was the first hit all-black Broadway show ever. It set the tone for Black Broadway. She failed her first audition for the show, not due to lack of talent, but the composers said that she was too dark. But nevertheless, she prevailed and made the show. And when she was officially on Broadway, and then she was officially on Broadway. After Shuffle Along ended, she joined a show called The Chocolate Dandies. She was doing the majority of her work on Broadway during the Harlem Renaissance, which was a revival of Black music, dance, art, fashion, literature, theater, politics, and scholarship based out of Harlem, Manhattan, New York City in the 1920s and 30s. She was a hit on Broadway and her star was constantly ascending, but she wasn't quite famous yet, or at least as famous as she wanted to be. She would become a true icon, not in the United States, not St. Louis, not New York, not Philadelphia or Chicago or Memphis. She would become a true icon in Paris. Her comedic touch and willingness to do mostly anything for a crowd reaction made her a fan favorite all over. There were occasions where the shows that she was in would travel back to St. Louis and she would avoid her mother because she did not want to see the look of disappointment on her face. It was during these times that Josephine realized that there was nothing left for her in America. Racism was still running rampant and her own mother wanted absolutely nothing to do with her. In her youth, Carrie was a dancer and had aspirations of being a showgirl, and this probably led to some of more of the discontent that she had for Josephine. Maybe it was jealousy. Josephine's half-sister Margaret once said that her mother was once the most popular girl at the dance halls on Sundays, and Josephine was living that dream out. In 1925, France was obsessed with American jazz and all things exotic. And Josephine knew this, and she figured that she could only get but so far in America. She figured she can only get so far in American entertainment as long as politics and racism has something to do with it. So she packed up her things and caught a boat to Paris, France. And that is where things get interesting. On the next episode of the Redacted History Podcast, we'll uncover how Josephine Baker became one of the most iconic symbols of black women empowerment in the 20th century. How she escaped to Paris from her chaotic life in America. And not only did she become one of the most famous and sought after entertainers in all of Europe, but she became a civil rights icon and one of the leaders of the French resistance during World War II. Peace. If you enjoyed this episode of the Redacted History Podcast, scroll on down, leave me a review, leave me a rating. It really, really helps. I appreciate all of the support that this podcast has gotten, and we're just getting started. Thank you so much.